0: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is December 7th, and Matt, I am just so happy we actually have a whole lot to talk about. I wasn't sure that was going to be true like two days ago when I started thinking about our podcast here, and uh, we're very fortunate, I think, uh, both as podcasters and baseball fans and lover of the sport, that we've had a truly massive trade happen. Obviously, we're going to talk about Juan Soto, but more than just that, a whole bunch of other moves happened from the winter meetings, and there's actually still a lot more to come. We're certainly going to talk about, well, where's Shohei Otani going to go? Matt, Juan Soto is a Yankee, and I don't know how to say this without offending like, I don't know, 90% of our listeners. Like anyone who's not a Yankee fan, right? I'm not a Yankee fan. I grew up in the area. I'm not a Yankee fan. You did not grow up a Yankee fan. This is so good for baseball. (laughs) I'm so happy that this is how it went, right? It's good when the Yankees act like the Yankees, and now they can be a villain for everybody else. And I think Juan Soto is going to be the kind of guy who's going to be a huge superstar here. Everybody else will be mad about it. If not for the outcome of him going to my favorite team who is not the Yankees, this to me is the best possible outcome. I'm so pleased by this.
1: I agree with the general general sentiment of what you're saying because the Yankees have sort of been trying to thread this needle of being, you know, fiscally responsible and st- while still competing and have been generally pretty successful at it. They didn't make the playoffs this year, but they've been pretty consistently in the playoffs. But this is like, this is what the Yankees are about. And honestly, what surprised me most, and I guess... At first, it surprised me. The more I think about it, it surprised me less. But, like, how few teams seem to be in on one Soto, right? Like, shouldn't every team have been trying to get one Soto? But I guess you realize there's the rebuilding teams that aren't going to do it. And then even the teams that are sort of like maybe the mid-market teams are like, well, I'm not going to – if I know I think I have no chance of re-signing him, I'm not going to give up a huge haul. For one year of one, so if he's almost certainly going to leave, at least with a team like the Yankees, similar to the Dodgers trading for Betts and the Mets trading for Lindor with one year left on their deal, these teams were trading for guys where it was like, you know what, we feel pretty confident we're going to be able to keep them for the long term. And I do think that that matters.
0: It's an interesting thought. I only partially agree with it. I think there are certain, we can agree that there are some teams who will look at him and say, He's only under contract for one year. We know we're not going to sign him past that, and we really don't think we're going to be good enough this year to make it worthwhile, right? Like, is Oakland going to go after him for a year? No. You know, Will the Royals go after him for this year? No. Like, There's a bunch of teams like that. I think I disagree with you a little bit on some of the mid-market teams who know they couldn't sign him long-term but are going to be like contending this year, right? If you are, I don't know, Cleveland, Right, desperately needs an outfield bat. Couldn't you make an argument that Cleveland says, you know, in this division, Minnesota is a similar example, right? We could make a whole lot of progress just in this one year because this is our way to access this player. We'll never be able to sign. Right. That it never happens that way. But I feel like it could have. I could have seen it going down that way.
1: He's a good enough player that that's, I think that's why I was originally surprised about it, because I was like, why are more teams not not in on this guy? He's that good. Um, you know, one thing that really stood out to me about this and just the series of Yankees moves in the last few days is how much pitching has been taken from the Yankees organization in the last three days. They traded three pitchers for Alex Verdugo. They lost three pitchers in the rule five draft. Now they could end up coming back to the Yankees. And then they traded a handful of pitchers to the Padres for Soto. Now this tells me two things. One of which it tells me the Yankees are very confident in their ability to develop pitching and two, It tells me the rest of the industry thinks the Yankees are very good at developing pitching because they want Yankees pitchers, many of whom, with the exception of Michael King, aren't really established as good major leaguers. And even Michael King is established as a good reliever. He's had like nine starts, and the Padres are expecting him to be like a centerpiece of the rotation.
0: Yeah, well, it tells me two other things, right? It tells me they're going to go get a starting pitcher somewhere, and obviously they're in on Yamamoto, as a number of teams are. But if not him, they will go get... Somebody, You know, we can speculate, Montgomery, Snell, who knows, right? But they will get somebody. The second thing it tells me is that they must have some amount of confidence in either or both of Nestor Cortez and Carlos Rodon, neither of whom really contributed much last year due to injury. At least Cortez has some track record with the team. Rodon does not. That was a really disastrous first year of that contract. I think it's easy to forget how good he was in 2022, right? I feel like you've got to be able to say, I think I'm going to get something from those guys. Garrett Cole is the defending Cy Young award winner. Clark Schmidt, he's fine, right? He's like a decent back end starter. That's a top four right there. And certainly you can't rely on Rodon and Cortez uh, for the whole season right now. But you can say, okay, well, that's my projected top four. I think we'll get a little bit of, you know, Will Warren or Clayton Beater will definitely sign a starting pitcher or two. It's easier to replace that, right? It's easier to replace starting pitching than to access a bat like Juan Soto because there are essentially no bats like Juan Soto. It's him or, I don't know, you're not Alvarez, you are not trading for Jordan Alvarez.
1: I mean, I guess you you could argue the Yankees could just go out and sign Otani, right? But that's easier said than done because you have to negotiate with him. Whereas at least with him, you're negotiating with the Padres and you know the Padres are looking to deal Soto for a variety of reasons. You know, he's gonna be a free agent next year. They need to rebuild some pitching. Their payroll has probably been, they've been a bit above their skis in terms of payroll. From a Yankees perspective, like, to me, this trade is a no-brainer. Like it's, it's. If I'm a Yankees fan, I'm like, really? Like this is it? Like, great. I mean, I, they gave up a legitimate, like you know, package of 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 good, some young, some not that young. King, Kings not young pitching, but like you do this for me. You do this trade. 100 times out of 100.
0: Yeah, I wasn't forceful enough about this at the start, and I should have been. I love this trade for the Yankees. I love it. And again, not a Yankee fan. People see that I live in New York. They assume I'm a Yankee fan. They never assume I'm a Mets fan, which is a whole <laughs> other topic, I think. You cannot access guys like Juan Soto. And I, the biggest pushback I saw from Yankees fans as well, he's a Scott Boris client, and he's only signed for one more year, so he's a rental, and he'll leave after the season, which very well might happen. Absolutely possible. But if you look at the kind of contract he's going to get, the size of contract, there are, I don't know, five, six, seven teams, maybe, right? Well, you're one of those teams, and you get an entire year of a head start on pitching him, on giving him contract offers, or showing him, hey, you really do like New York City or the team around you. "That's, That's so valuable to me. And even if he leaves after one year, think about what this year is. Aaron Judge is turning 32. Garrett Cole is 33. You can't punt years at this point. If you want to make the most out of those guys' primes, you need to be as good as you can right now, and there's no way to improve more than this.
1: Yeah, I have two points on that, one of which is like, yes, and – this is a, a pivotal year. Judge is not as young as people think he is, nor is Garrett Cole for that matter. This is a very much a win-now year, and Soto makes them a very much a win-now team and addresses a huge weakness on the team. Last year, the Yankees were 27th in on-base percentage, 304 on-base percentage as a team, their lowest since 1990. That was like one of the lowest points in Yankee history. This, is, this was like before they even drafted Jeter. I think Mike Gallego was their shortstop or Alvaro Espinosa. I can't even remember. Juan Soto is one of four players over the last three years who has an OBP above 400. The Yankees now have two of them, Judge and Soto. And Soto is 20 points ahead of anyone else. He is 20 points ahead of OBP better than Freddie Freeman, who's number two over the last three years, and he is entering his age 25 season. Like, this is – he's a perfect fit for this lineup. The only thing I could see as a downside – the only thing I could foresee, and this is not Juan Soto's fault, but I could very much ver- foresee – what used to happen in Cincinnati with Joey Votto, where the fans were like, "Swing the bat, like we need you, we, we we need you driving in runs." Like, I could definitely see a backlash of like a certain segment of Yankee fans being like, "Too many, this guy's taking too many walks. He's got to swing the bat. We, if this guy wants a five hundred million dollar contact contract, he better swing the bat more." That I could see, but that's not really Juan Soto's fault, and frankly, that's not Juan Soto's game. Uh, I, I actually agree with those fans.
0: I think he's too patient. I really do. <laughs> he's obviously got an elite eye for the strike zone and all that but he's also just a great swinger you know he, he should be a little more aggressive at hittable pitches i think there is another downside to this too potentially and that's that the yankee outfield defense might be like terrible <laughs> next year like soto is not a good outfielder alex verdugo who they acquired from boston he's fine he's okay he's got a good throwing arm they're going to put judge in center i guess which i think he's capable of But it's interesting. I think I saw uh, Ken Rosenthal draw this comparison the other day. You look at similarly aged superstars. Mookie Betts is leaving the outfield. He's coming in to play second base, which he thinks is going to keep him fresher. Bryce Harper is leaving the outfield. He's coming in to play first base, in part because, you know, he already transitioned to it. And Aaron Judge, coming off a toe injury, is going to be asked to play center field on a, I don't know if it's everyday basis. Like, you know, Trent Grisham came over in the trade. He's a very good outfielder. Jason Dominguez might come back later in the year. There's probably room for a, uh, you know, Kike Hernandez kind of guy who can play some center. That it's not going to be a great outfield defense and I worry a little bit about Judge staying healthy if he's doing that every day.
1: I still think there's a chance they deal Verdugo no matter what they say. I also think it's not unreasonable for them to go into the season basically treating Giancarlo Stanton as a part-time player, frankly, and letting Trent Grisham basically start as often as John, basically like, you know, we're we're giving, basically giving ch- judge a chance to DH, you know, 40% of the time or play right field 40% of the time. Like, I think you, at this point, Stanton, you know, he's either hurt or he's posting 290 OBP's at this point in his career. I don't think you need to treat him as a player that is like, oh, we have to get this guy in the lineup every day. If he starts hitting like 2017, again, 2017 is now six years ago, people. Um, it's been a while. That's a good problem to have. Until he starts hitting like that, I think that you make judge his health, judge's health, and so does bat the priority of getting those two guys in the lineup as much as possible while also not totally sacrificing your defense. And if that means playing J- Trent Grisham in center over Jean-Carlo Stanton at DH and have Grisham batting ninth, I think you do that. One point I want to make on the Yankees, especially as it pertains to this being a win-now move, is if you look ahead to next offseason, the Yankees are going to be in a very interesting position because they already have, like, a lot of money committed to a bunch of players. But one of those players is Garen Cole, who can opt out of his contract next offseason, which I don't think people – I didn't realize that till this week. He can opt out of his contract. However, the Yankees can negate that opt-out if they add an extra year to the back end of his contract. So add, like, another $36 million season, I think, in 2029 on the back end of his contract. But not just that. In addition to Garrett Cole, this whole Garrett Cole thing, which could be very interesting, because I could see him pitching well enough to 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 do this to opt out. So there's a chance that happens. Juan Soto will be a free agent. Alex Verdugo will be a free agent. Let's see who else we have here will be free. Uh, Clay Holmes will be a free agent. Gleber Torres will be a free agent. Jonathan Loizaga. Loaz- Lo- I can never pronounce Loizaga. Name. Loizaga. Loizaga will be a free agent. So this really is a win now season for the Yankees because. The complexion of this team is going to change massively after this year. And they have a lot invested in these players right now, which I think is all the more reason almost to make this sort of move, where it's like we have these guys, Judge especially, still in his prime. Like, let's go for
0: it. You know what's funny? I think you're totally right. And I also think if the season started today, and I understand there's more moves to come, but let's just say rosters as they are right now, I think I picked the Yankees fourth in the East. <laughs> like, but really? It's, I mean, come on. The Orioles? The Rays, Uh, the Blue Jays, I know there's more moves to come, but I don't know, man. Like The the thing about the Yankees is I don't trust the starting rotation. And again, I know that's unfair. I know they'll get more arms. I don't trust the infield, right? Do you trust Anthony Rizzo to come back and have a very strong season? Do you trust that Volpe is going to make huge steps forward with the bat? Do you trust DJ LeMahieu kind of at all at this point? I'm not sure I do. Like There is a lot of work yet to be done there, even after getting Juan Soto.
1: Well, it also depends where Otani signs, right? Cuz if Otani signs with the Blue Jays, which would be incredible, then I would definitely take the Blue Jays over them. But I have a lot of questions about the Blue Jays. I have questions about the the Orioles starting pitching. It it will be a very interesting division, but obviously there's there's more to come no matter what. So whatever happens between now and opening day will probably only make that division more interesting than what we have right now.
0: I, w- I want to make one last Soto point, and then we should at least briefly touch on the Padres who were also involved in this trade. I know everybody thinks it's just the Yankees. You're going to hear so much over the next couple of weeks and months about how Juan Soto is going to go into Yankee Stadium and hit 700 homers because of the short porch. And I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. It just it doesn't work that way. We did some StatCast analysis on this, and he actually would have hit fewer homers last year if he'd played all his games in Yankee Stadium. And the reason for that is very simple. And that is because when he puts the ball in the air, right? So fly balls and line drives, uh, he only pulled the ball twenty-five percent of the time. Like he's a opposite field guy, he's a hit the ball up the middle guy. He's a, an incredibly balanced all fields hitter, which I think is what people want, right? It's why the shift never really hurt him that much. Uh, but if you go and watch all his home runs from last year, there were so many like left, left center, left center power hour balls that wouldn't have gotten out of Yankee Stadium. Doesn't mean he's a bad fit. Obviously not. I think he's a great fit. I just I'm already pre-annoyed at how many takes we're going to hear that says well 70 home runs guaranteed yankee stadium i remember this statement and forget it if i'm wrong the other thing we should talk about at least a little bit uh the padres yankee fans really really did not want to include michael king right michael king's had a very interesting trajectory came up as a reliever was okay it was a starter at first it was okay got hurt um then you know fractured his elbow in 2022, ended up being a really good reliever. And then down the stretch last year, he made eight starts for the Yankees, 188 ERA, 48 strikeouts and nine walks. Uh, There's this one game I remember watching because it was against the Blue Jays on my birthday, 13 strikeouts and no walks in seven innings. Matt, do you know what he got for that? Do you know? A loss. That's (laughs) He got a loss for that. Pitching is silly sometimes. Here's the thing. I think he's very good. I don't think he's a 188 ERA starter, obviously. And in like half of those games, he was essentially an opener going four innings, five innings. I think he will help the Padres rotation. I think Drew Thorpe is not far away. I think Brito and Vasquez are, you know, useful pieces. I think they desperately needed starting help. And I I think this is going to sound controversial, right? They traded away the best player by 10 miles in Soto. And yet, if you take Soto's contributions and you take the contributions of all the starters, they're probably only a little bit worse next year. The problem is now they've only got one outfielder. Where are you on the Padres with this?
1: Um, it's, it's a little I mean, like, it's just, a. it's kind of, I don't want to say sad, but like they were this exciting kind of like attempted super team. So it feels like a little bit of going out with a whimper, even if from a roster building standpoint, there is some, you know, this is actually in terms of this, is like one of the more practical moves that the Padres have made in a few years where it's like, OK, we have this guy he's leaving. We're not going to be able to resign him. We really need pitching. Let's go to this team that has a lot of pitching depth and some interesting guys that really can help us like compete because like the Padres should be should be decent next year, right? I, st- I imagine they'll make a couple of moves to maybe add, add an outfielder and they should still be at least competing for a wild card spot next year. It's not like, I mean, they still have, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Zander Bogarts, Hugh Darvish, Joe Musgrove. Like there's some some good players on this team, but it just, after what we've seen from the last couple of years and the buzz that built around them, it's, a, it's kind of a, I don't wanna say end of an era, but it kind of feels a little bit like an end of an era.
0: I think it might be. I think I would have loved to know what Xander Bogarts is thinking right now, right? like Everything is maybe not gone exactly the way you would have thought. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petro and Matt Myers. Believe it or not, there were trades this week and signings that had nothing to do with either Juan Soto or the mysterious whereabouts of Shohei Otani. And some of them are actually kind of cool. Uh, Overshadowed because it was happening at like the exact same time the Soto trade got finalized. Late last night, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez gets four years and $80 million from Arizona. And that is an unbelievably good combination of team and fit and need. If you remember on their run to the World Series last year, they essentially had two and a half starters, right? Zach Allen, who was great, and I don't think people think enough about the fact he threw like 243 combined innings that he's going to have to bounce back from. That That's not easy. Merrill Kelly, who was very good, is going to be 35 years old. And Brandon Fott, who will always have a 572 ERA next to his name for last year, but made a lot of changes down the stretch. He, I think he can be good, but he has a lot to prove. And you look at their very interesting lineup, and you think, This is a team that really, really needed a quality, not ace-level starter, but a very good one. And Eduardo Rodriguez is pretty good for what I believe is a shockingly reasonable price. Were you a little surprised by that part?
1: Definitely. I was surprised. Um, And I'm very curious to see what Jordan Montgomery ends up ultimately signing for. Because Jordan Montgomery comes into the offseason having pitched really well in October for the Rangers and there's a belief that I think that he'd get a contract well into the hundred, well past 100 million dollars. And I look at him and Rodriguez, and they're both 30 years old. They're both left-handers who are not overpowering. You know, Montgomery had a 3.2 ERA last year. Erod was 3.3. Like they're, they're very. You look at their like expected ERAs, like a lot of their secondary stuff. Like, and I'd argue that Rodriguez has an even better track record than Jordan Montgomery does. So I'm very curious to see where Montgomery lands when all is said and done, because I feel like that will tell me a lot more about whether, you know, the quote unquote value of this deal. But for me, this, I was like, D-backs, four for four years for 80 for Eduardo Rodriguez, like good, nice job guys. I feel like Eduardo Rodriguez might've been kind of, I don't know if penalized is the right word, but you know, he didn't, he rejected the trade to Dodgers this year. He, a couple of years ago, he disappeared from his team. I think he had a personal, some personal matter. I, th- I mean, like, I don't know what happened um, in either situation, really. Like I don't, I can't see inside his brain. I almost feel like he was like penalized for that, where there's like some skept, some some skepticism of him for those reasons. But when he's been on the field and when he's been healthy, let's also remember this is the guy who got COVID and then had myocarditis as a result of it. Like this guy's been through some stuff. So um, good for the D-backs. I think this is a really nice match. And uh, I, hope, I hope to see that they can build on this. You know, there's an easy, it's easy to say, oh, they'll just regress. But as you mentioned, they have some young talent and I'm hoping that they can at least like stabilize and have another successful contending year.
0: I saw one of the major um, rumor reporters. I can't remember who it was. I think it might've been Bob Nightingale, but if it wasn't Bob, it was somebody like that or Joel Sherman or somebody after this tweeted, the Arizona Diamondbacks have the best rotation in the National League West. And I kind of laughed and I'm like, okay, hot takes. And then I thought about it for a second and it's like, well, wait a minute now, The, the Padres have had to backfill the rotation. The Dodgers barely have any starters. It's not the Rockies. I'm sorry, Rockies. And the Giants have Logan Webb and a lot of question marks. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, wait, that's absolutely right. They have the best rotation in the National League West. It was a statement so shocking that I thought it couldn't possibly be true. And yet, I think it is. And you're right. He's had some, he's had some weird stuff over the last couple of years, right? A lot of that does not seem like it's his fault. The COVID issue, certainly the personal issues could happen to any of us. But I, I was looking at his history while he has had some injuries. He had a, a serious knee injury a couple years ago. I believe he missed some time this year uh, with a hand issue. I don't believe he's ever had a serious arm injury. And I, I think that's something teams put a lot of value on. If you get to 30 and you've thrown, he's got 1,100 innings, and you've never had a serious shoulder or elbow injury. I, I think that says a lot about you know the, the durability you can have when all of like you know the other stuff over here isn't happening. I don't look at him as an ace, right? He's not the opening day starter next year. I'm not sure he's the number two starter. It doesn't matter, right? If you put him on a team with like really good and deep rotation, I'm not sure he moves the needle that much. You put him on this team, he makes a ton of impact. I think that's the whole point here. Like good on them for not just saying, yeah, we made it the World Series. They found money. We're golden. They're actually making the effort to improve where they desperately needed it. And I'm going to take them a lot more seriously next year. I think that I did coming into this year. The next one, I think that was pretty interesting because it was just, what did I just say about this one, right? Perfect fit of player and team. Well, here are the Reds signing an infielder. Why did the Reds sign Imar Candelario? I think I know why. He is a third baseman slash first baseman. He's a switch hitter. The Reds gave him three years, and the Reds have so many infielders, right? Even with Joey Votto gone, just an endless number of young infielders. And this was surprising to people, but the more I thought about it, the more I kind of came to, let me get to the end of the conclusion first. Signing a good player is a good thing, right? Kind of full stop. The rest of it will sort each other out. And then you look at the young infielders they have, and it's like, well, Spencer Steer hit pretty well last year, but he can't really play the infield. You know, he's going to the outfield or DH. Ellie De La Cruz, unbelievably exciting, wasn't actually productive last year. Like, do you trust Noelvi Marte or, you know, CES or Matt McClan? Some of them, yes, but to add a veteran guy in the mix, they, they can't all be rookies, is where I landed here.
1: I think that's right, but at the same time, I also feel like it means there's something else coming. There's been Jonathan India trade rumors for a while now, and while I'm not really sure what his trade value is, um, it feels like this makes it that much more likely that he's going to get moved, or maybe they'll, they'll be more creative and trade one of their young guys for a higher ceiling arm. But now I'm kind of very curious to see what they do, because it feels like, okay, what's what's next? Cause you my concern with trades like this is it almost hurts your leverage a little bit when you sign the guy before you make the trade because now other teams are like no like okay they they, they really want to get rid of rid, rid of this player so that's where where it leaves me but to your point would it be that shocking if at some point ellie de la cruz was optioned back to the minors no No Levin Marte no so like Maybe maybe they just want to have some depth, and they have these young players with options, similar way teams will often treat relievers with options, where it's like, you know what, Like, I'd rather have the depth and, and, and let it sort itself out. And if everyone plays that well, that we can't have enough bad bats for them, we'll figure it out and make a trade then when these players have more value.
0: Can I invent a trade rumor out of whole cloth here? This is just yes. totally me looking at spreadsheets and talking to absolutely nobody. We all think they're going to trade Jonathan India probably to the Red Sox or some other team that needs a second baseman, right? What if you had a powerful bat who can't really play the infield and should play left field or DH, let's say he's called Spencer Steer, and there was a a desperate need for starting pitching, and there happened to be another team who desperately needs a young, cost-effective outfield bat and maybe has a lot of starting pitching, Spencer Steer to the Mariners? Wouldn't that be funny? Because, you know, they did make the trade for Castillo and (laughs) and Elvin Marte coming back. I could see a fit there. You know what? They could use Jonathan India, too. The Mariners don't really have a second baseman. I mean, I'm inventing this, but the fit kind of makes sense. Does anybody need a starting pitcher more than the Reds do? Yes, the Dodgers. Maybe the Mets. Aside from them, right? Probably the Reds. Does anybody need a bat more than the Mariners do? Maybe not. Tell me I'm wrong.
1: I think well. I think that's what surprised me and a lot of people was that like you know it's it's usually fair to assume that the Reds aren't going to be the biggest players in free agency, but if they're going to make a, a you know reasonably big signing, you would have thought it would have been on a starting pitcher. So the fact they went and signed an infielder instead, when there was a lot of pretty good two to four starter types available that they presumably could have signed, um, I think that's where it left a lot of people scratching their heads.
0: The uh, one of the other moves I wanted to talk about was maybe wildly under the radar because we don't often talk about guys who have a career ERA of north of five that much, Uh, but Eric Fetty signed with the White Sox for two years. This one's fascinating. So he spent parts of six seasons with the Washington Nationals, 541 ERA. They let him go at the end of 2022. He goes off to Korea, and he absolutely explodes, right? Wins the MVP of the KBO, comes back, and has signed a two-year deal with the White Sox. And I think a lot of people just look at the, oh, 541 ERA, that's that's no good. Maybe it's because he was facing lesser hitters in Korea. Probably to some extent it's that. But there were some really interesting articles about the changes he made before he went over there. You know, he went to a pitch design lab at the end of last season. Not only did he strengthen himself with weighted balls, he learned two new pitches. He's obviously a different guy now. Like I, I cannot stress enough for all of the whining we hear about analytics, how much of it is just guys getting better and learning how their bodies work and how to improve themselves as baseball players. You know, the kind of stuff anyone from 150 years ago would have killed to have known about themselves. And the White Sox uh, recently hired Brian Bannister, who is going to be their, I believe, director of pitching or pitching advisor, whatever his title is. And he tweeted about this and he said, Fetty works out at the same facility as Logan Webb and Bannister had been with the Giants. He said he added the same sweeper and split change that Webb did, which he did not use in Washington. And I'm not saying Eric Fetty is going to be Logan Webb, but I'm saying I'm a whole lot more interested than I should be in a guy who has an ERA of 541. Like We know he's different now, and I'm really fascinated to see how this works.
1: I think this is a tremendous signing for the White Sox, right? Like it's not a it's not a ton of money, so it's reasonably low risk. We've seen we have seen pitchers come back from from the KBO and have a lot of success. Merrill Kelly being one, of course. Then the flip side, you have a guy like Josh Lindblom who got a lot of hype signing with the Mariners, Brewers a couple years ago, and that did not go well. But again, we're not talking about a ton of money, and I I think with the this strategy that the White Sox have kind of been employing this offseason under Chris Getz, their new GM, they're just kind of just acquiring guys, right? Like they're just they they traded Aaron Bummer for like four pitchers and they they made this this Fetty signing. And like these guys are probably there's a good chance these guys are not part of the next great White Sox team, but it allows them to see what they have. And like, I mean, you don't want to necessarily think this way, but we've seen it happen a lot with relievers in recent years, like a role chapman with the Royals last year, where it's like if Eric Fetty pops and he's great and we're still rebuilding, this guy's going to have a ton of trade value, right? This, is, this guy can help us rebuild our farm system. So I think it's a really shrewd signing for the White Sox. I'm very interested to see. I mean, he was a first-round pick of the Nationals in 2014. Like, I'm very interested to see how this plays out this season. I'm, I'm
0: trying to think how to word this tactfully. If he pops and he looks great, you can't be happy as a Nationals fan. Right. Like he spent all this time there and he he said, oh, i never had gone to a pitch design lab. I'm not saying they didn't help him. I'm not trying to cast aspersions or anything. But if that was always just in there and he never went and did it and yet now he did and it benefits the White Sox, that's not that's not going to make you happy.
1: I mean, we've seen this. I mean, we've seen this happen a lot though in the last few years with hitters and pitchers. Guys, you know, get get under a new coach and work for the new facility. So, but yes, I'm, I think that's probably considering where the Nationals are right now. They could use a guy. Use a guy like a good version, like the good version of Eric Fetty that the White Sox think they just signed.
0: Uh, one more trade. This one actually happened like right before the winter meetings. Jared Kelnick got traded to the Braves. Uh, I know it seems like this was four days ago, but that's so long ago in baseball terms that one of the players involved has already been traded again. Marco Gonzalez got traded with Kelnick to Atlanta, and then they traded him to Pittsburgh. Uh, So the whole deal here was Kelnick with Gonzalez and Evan White to the Braves for Jackson Coar and Cole Phillips. And let me tell you, Seattle fans are not very happy about this, right? Cole Phillips uh, was a pretty highly regarded draft pick, but he got hurt, has not thrown a professional pitch yet. Jackson Coar had been a Brave for like three weeks. The, the Braves were going to non-tender. the injured Kyle Wright. They flipped him to Kansas City. They got Coar. These guys may have careers. They're young. They're talented. They're highly regarded. They will probably not be productive major leaguers in 2024, would be my guess. So what the Braves have essentially done is say, we're going to take a gamble on Kaledick, who was himself you know, a top draft pick not that long ago. And what we'll do to acquire that is we'll take on the rest of Gonzalez's contract, We'll take on the rest of Evan White's contract. Evan White is sort of the flip side of the uh, Jackson Churio, Luis Robert thing where he got that contract very early and just has not performed whatsoever. If you remember Kelnick last year with Seattle, he had a great like what six weeks or so. And everybody sort of thought, Oh, he's figured it out. Even though I'm pretty sure we talked about on this show, he still wasn't hitting breaking balls. and That was a huge worry. And then he came back to earth a little bit and then he broke his foot and he missed the rest of the year. I like what the Braves have done, but I, I have to admit, I think I'm kind of in the can for the Braves right now, just because I have really liked everything they've done for, I don't know, five years. Like I shouldn't give this much benefit of the doubt to a team based on track record. And I kind of feel that's, that's where I am right now.
1: Yeah. I think it's honestly, it's like, what's the harm, right. For the, from the Braves perspective, they don't really need Kelnick. There's a chance they, you know, they've Kevin Seitzer, who's, you know, really helped a lot of their hitters. You know, Austin Riley looked like he was might be a lost cause a couple years ago. Now he's one of the better hitters in the league. And Kelman comes there. There's going to be low expectations there. He's going to bat eighth or ninth. I mean, last year, as you noted, in April, through April, he had a 982 OPS. And then month by month, it went 727, 588, 686, 653. So it was not great. Um, he also hurt his hand, I think, punching a cooler later in the season. It was just the, the, the vibes started so high and they 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 crashed very quickly. And the biggest reason to be to be skeptical of Kelnick is that even when he was having a his breakout year, quote unquote, he was still striking out more than 30% of the time, right? So like that's a hard thing to fix. But as I said, the Braves it's it's low stakes for them. They basically were essentially like taking on a bad contract to get him and if they can uncover something great and if not he would it's not like he'd be that hard for them to replace, right? There's, like, a lot of, like, what's he replacing? Eddie Rosario, right? Like, it's not like Eddie Rosario was so great last year either. So um, it's a low-stakes gamble for them. So for me, it's less about, like, liking or not liking. It's more like, why not?
0: Yeah, I mean, they, just to clarify, you and I described the same injury in, in two different ways. He suffered a left foot fracture in July after kicking the cooler, and he was out for the rest uh. of the year. So the, the Braves have said Kalanick is going to be something of a platoon option in left field with Von Grissom, who is going to learn how to play left field after trying to be a shortstop last year. They also said Von Grissom was going to be their starting shortstop last year, and then that didn't happen. So I'm not convinced there's not another move here. I just assume it'll be Adam Duvall, because it always ends up being Adam Duvall <laughs> in some way. The Ravens need a starting pitcher, right? That's what they need. You can find an outfielder in spring training if you need to. Like, this tends to not be that difficult. They need a starting pitcher. And I'm with you. Like The talent is still in there. This, this is now another step removed from the big trade that took him from the Mets to the Mariners. So he goes to the Mariners with enormous expectations. Didn't really work out. Now you're a step removed from that, and I feel like the pressures may maybe off a little bit. I feel like he, this is the perfect spot. He doesn't need to be their cleanup hitter. He's going to be like their nine-hole hitter in that lineup. He's going to have Kevin Seitzer. If it's going to work anywhere, I feel like it's here. For that reason, I like the move. And at, for the Mariners... They've removed Kalanick. They traded away Eugenio Suarez. They did not offer Teoscar Hernandez. So that's three pieces of a lineup that wasn't good enough last year, and I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt that Jerry Depoto will come up with three or four bats. But until that happens, maybe Spencer Steer, that could be one of them. Until, that happens, <laughs> Nydia, uh, until that happens, I, I think... Mariners fans might be the least satisfied fan base uh, in baseball right now. We'll take a break. We'll come back, and we will obviously be talking about Shohei Otani. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We obviously are going to talk about where Shohei Otani is going to go, and by acknowledging he exists, we know that he will not be a guest on this podcast because that's how everything seems to be working right now. I cannot believe Dave Roberts just said, yes, we met with him. And it became a whole thing like it's it's funny and weird and understandable and frustrating all at the same time. And every time I see a report that says, yes, he's expected to sign by the end of the weekend, my reaction is you don't know that nobody knows that. Like, if, I'm not sure he exists anymore. You can tell me he's on Mars right now. And I would believe you. I, I'm mostly interested. I mean, everybody wants to know where he's going to go. Right. It seems to me that we have narrowed it down to three spots, the Dodgers, the Blue Jays. And as much as I can't believe I'm saying this, the Angels, the Angels still feel very much in the mix here for a couple of reasons that we'll get to in a minute. Let me ask you this. Are these teams, right? Are you still holding out hope for, I don't know, the Cubs, the Giants, a New York team, the Braves to do something nuts, right? It's the Dodgers or the Jays or the Angels?
1: I think so. But like, I mean, out of nowhere, did you find out that like Steve Cohen was like, I want this guy. Let's go get him. Like, it wouldn't shock me. I don't think it will happen. I think the Blue Jays. I'm with you. I think think those are the three teams, but I'll never say never, but it does feel like it's going to be those teams just based on the buzz. But then again, he's been so secretive, you know, maybe there's these secret meetings going on that we don't know about and one team is actually following his rules of not leaking anything and that will be the team he ultimately signs with.
0: There's a big, big part of me that wants him to sign with the Dodgers just because if he doesn't, then for the rest of time, we will hear that it was because Dave Roberts <laughs> opened his mouth at the winter meetings. And I just, I don't want that to be the story. It's like he has earned whatever path he wants to take. If he wants to be secretive, that, that's fine. That's completely his right. I just, it's not great for baseball. I wouldn't say not that the winter meetings are entertaining. I, that's not a goal for me. He's the best player on the planet, he's the MVP, and we just haven't heard him speak to anything in months whatsoever. I understand there might be a language barrier, but I don't think that's all of it. You know, if you if you want to be a global superstar, uh, you kind of have to be present somewhere. And if you don't, this is the thing. He might not, which is totally fine. But if that's the case, that's how he goes back to the Angels, right? You don't go to these other teams and say, I'm not interested in talking. If you go back to the Angels, you kind of slide right back into the the patterns you had. You can kind of set your rules because they're so unbelievably thrilled to still have you. That's, that's why I'm not counting them out. Like, I still think there's a shot he goes back there. Because if you want anonymity, you can't go to the Dodgers and have that. Can't go to the Blue Jays and have that. Doesn't work that way.
1: I, I'm with you in the sense that, like, I don't think he if he wants to be private. That's his right. I do think though that it's just like, you know, I, I look at I'm an NBA fan, right? LeBron James speaks after every game, right? And sometimes it's he doesn't say anything, right? And a lot of times, a lot of stars are very good at speaking without saying anything. And then they, but then you have like LeBron James. You know, the other day he had this amazing quote where he was like. Father time is undefeated, but I am trying to give him one loss. And I was like, "That's amazing! Like, <laughs> this is, I, we need more players." Like, it's the thing is, when you speak, sometimes you you drop a gem like that, right? And I think that, like, I do feel I think at this point with Otani, as a fan of baseball, I do feel like we're missing out because he, you hear that he's a charming guy and a funny guy, and sometimes you see him in the, in the in the dugout, you know, doing pantomiming and he looks funny and like having a good time. But then he doesn't speak; he hasn't spoken to the media since August. He did one interview when he won a VP. And then he wouldn't even reveal the name of his dog, and it's, it's just just like, as a fan, it's like I kind of want to, I'd, I'd like a little bit of window into who this guy is and what makes him tick. I mean, if that's if he really wants to in that, so be it. But as a fan, like I, I'm left, I'm left wanting more. I, I do would would like to know more about the guy.
0: I'm starting to wonder if there will even be a press conference or an announcement. Like, what's going to happen is okay. It's you know February 24th, and the Blue Jays tweet out their first spring training schedule against the Tigers in Lakeland. Or I don't know where they're playing, and you'll just say. Oh, I'm sorry. Is Otani hitting second in the line? He's a Blue Jay now? That's cool. That's that's so good to know. I, I don't, I will say this. Obviously, I don't know the man I've never met. him. Just from what I can tell, I do think it will happen soon because he doesn't seem like the type where if he's going to uproot his life and move to Toronto, you know, go to the Dodgers or whatever, he's going to want to do that last second, right? Doesn't it feel like he's going to want to have time to move and be comfortable in a new place? And that feels like that would have to happen sooner than later, probably.
1: I think at some point also the teams involved are going to get frustrated. And if the agent thinks there's a chance that maybe one of them kind of says, like, you know what, I don't need this. I'm going to go sign Blake Snell. I'm going to go – like I'm just going to go focus on Yamamoto or Cody Bellinger. Then you lose your – like right now they – like I can't imagine they're going to extract that much more money at this point. I'm sure like the – the the deals are probably all similar in scope, and it's all about make, maybe managing the you know negotiating the potential opt outs or incentives that kind of thing. But at a certain point, the teams are like, "Hey, I got to get on with my off season, and this is I've I've set aside a lot of money for this guy, and if I'm not going to get him, I need to go figure some other stuff out, and that's the reason why that that to me more than anything is why I feel like it's going to happen soon.
0: Who needs him more? The Dodgers feel like they have been building to this moment for like ten years. But the Blue Jays have gotten everyone in Canada so hyped that they would get either Soto or Otani, and they're obviously not getting Soto. Who is is more devastated if they don't get him?
1: I think Blue Jays fans for sure. I mean, I think Blue Jays – at this point, it's like we talk about teams that may have missed their window. The Blue Jays feel like they may be about to miss their window, and this would give them such a jolt of excitement and – Make it feel like okay, as I said before, like okay, yeah, they, I do want, them, I do have them ahead of the Yankees. Maybe I have them as American League East favorites with Otani. Um, so, to, whereas the Dodgers, they're going to win hundred games no matter what. They're somehow going to, you know, whoever the pitchers are, Walker Buehler will come back somehow, and Gonson will come back, and I, you know, it's they'll they'll be fine. Yeah, presumably
0: they have earmarked a large sum of money for Otani, and if they end up not spending that on him, it's pretty easy to say okay. Tyler Glass, now you're coming. Uh, Montgomery, Blake Snell, sure, why not? Throw him out of the pile. Like, you can see that's how it goes. Uh, The other name that's out there, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Japanese starting pitcher, and the numbers I'm seeing kicked around for him are massive. Like, it seems like he's going to easily clear $200 million. He he might get up to, like, $250 million. Partially, that's because, obviously, he's incredibly skilled. He's had an ERA below two in each of the last three years. And partially, it's because he's so young. He pitched last season... Uh, at 24 years old, he pitched 20. It turned 25 late in the season. So you could give him a 10-year deal, and he would still only be 35. That's totally reasonable, and I think that's what he's going to get. And as the clear number one starting pitcher available, yes, I put him above Blake Snell and all the other guys, there are so many teams that want to be in on him, and it's all of the big market teams you would think, right? The Dodgers want him. The Mets desperately want him. Steve Cohen went to Japan to meet him recently. The Yankees still seem to be in on him. Yama Soto is uh, trending pretty much everywhere. The Giants, the Cubs, the Red Sox, not all those teams are going to get him. And I'm thinking about this in, in two different ways. First of all, uh, a New York-centric point of view. You don't get a Mets-Yankees bidding war on a free agent that often. I'm not sure I can really remember the last time it truly happened, and I think you're going to get it here, which is going to be pretty fun. And then I'm also thinking about the Giants who, for the last couple of years, have whiffed on these big star names, right? Aaron Judge, Carlos Correa, we know all the story there. I don't think they're going to get Otani. Uh, They're definitely not going to get Soto because he's Yankee now. If they whiff on Yamamoto too, I don't know. Does does Matt Chapman satisfy that star-level name? I don't know that it does. Snell, maybe. Do you have to go get Cody Bellinger or do you just resign yourself to the fact that you whiffed again?
1: It's a good point. And I think that, I mean, I do think, I will go New York-centric for a second just to make the point that I think that if nothing else, Soto going to the Yankees is actually, I think it enhances the Mets-Yankee bidding war aspect, which ultimately will raise the amount of money that it's going to take to sign Yamamoto. I think there's a lot of people I've spoken to who basically have said some version of if Yamamoto signs with anyone other than the Mets, it's going to be because he took less money. That they basically like, if it's just about the money, he'll end up on the Mets. But either way, whatever that number is, the floor has been raised because the Mets certainly don't want to lose. Like there's there's a bit of a back pay, an old school back page war to this. I think Carlos Beltran was kind of the last time this ever kind of happened. And the Yankees, I think, ended up getting Randy Johnson that offseason instead. And that was they were kind of like not that in on Beltran as many people thought they would be. So I think that's really where he could end up choosing the Giants. Maybe he wants to be on the West Coast, you know, maybe just likes it. But the floor of what it's going to take to sign him, I think, you know, there's speculation it could get close to 300 million, and I that would not shock me.
0: No, not at all. I mean, there's it's a deep class for starting pitching, right? And yes, Blake Snell is very good. Montgomery is very good, of course. The the youth of Yamamoto, in addition to the skill, is what really sets him apart. Because as I said, you can get him if you're a rebuilding team. Not that those teams I think are in the mix, because he'll still be around in a couple years. You can get him as a right now team. And I'm not sure what's going to happen when you have teams that are as deeply pocketed as the Mets as the Dodgers, as the Giants, who have all decided this is the man we are going to get, and not all of you can actually get him. I'm kind of, this isn't the right phrase, but I'm not sure I can think of a better one at the moment. I'm, I'm interested in the temper tantrum that happens for the team that doesn't get him and what they do, right? How much money they start throwing all over the place, because uh, that could be fun. And I really feel like the winter, so the winter meetings are over, you know, not the most exciting until the last day. But uh, Christmas is in a couple of weeks. We're going to see action in the next couple of weeks. I feel like we have to. Tani's going to sign. That's going to open up some floodgates. I do think we'll get into January and still not know where. I think is maybe the most likely to still be out there just because there's a lot of questions about his case. I really do feel like we're going to get a lot of answers in the next couple of weeks. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.